Absolutely wonderful. It's one of those days with all the music about grace and, and wonderful special like that. Why don't we just close in a word of prayer, should we? Wonderful. Thank you very much, Nathan and Don and Autumn. If you would please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Luke verse, chapter 2, verse 21. Continuing on in this birth narrative of John the Baptist and now Christ, uh, it's a bit challenging in ways because it, that's what it is. It's a narrative. It is a storyline. There's little disagreement on the interpretation of most of this among commentators. Either you believe this is historical fact or you don't. You think it's fable. And so when you look to resources, uh, there's little disagreement on interpretation there's little help in a lot of resources on application. Most don't go into that. Most want you to get the right interpretation. And then, uh, as we we're told by Dr. Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary, one interpretation. The author had one intention when he wrote the letter, but there are many applications, many directions you can go with the application. So I pray today as we look at this and I hatch a few uh, in applications out of this text that I don't lay an egg. So... Please follow along. I'm going to read verses 21 through 40. Long passage of Scripture today. Luke records, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the, in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. 
At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Amen. Amen. And I, in what I consider a comparatively short period of ministry in my life, previously at my church before coming here, then in the mission field, and, and now here, I found an unfortunate experience that is shared amongst all those groups, missionaries, people in ministry, pastors, and others, yourselves probably included in this, as we watch from time to time people wash out of ministry. Sometimes they wash out of church. And the failure for many who do not persevere, fail to persevere, uh, can be discouraging in ministry if a biblical perspective is not maintained. Now, fortunately at our church, in explaining this, we understand unequivocally that true Christians persevere in their faith, through their life, and on into glory. The moment a person is born again, he or she is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which Scripture says is an earnest, a deposit, uh, guaranteeing our inheritance, Ephesians 1.14. God will not deny Himself. We are indwelt with the Spirit of God, and we know that true Christians, even those who haven't been taught correctly on this, those who are true, will persevere. That is referred to as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Even tribulation cannot separate us from the love of Christ, Romans 8, and actually Romans 5 verse 3 tells us we are to exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. There are many clear passages that defend the eternal security of the believer, Yet there are a comparatively very small fraction of isolated verses that may appear at first glance to contradict this doctrine of perseverance, which upon careful observation are easily explained and interpreted. Um, In Acts chapter 14, we see the Apostle Paul as an example. He is dragged out of Lystra, stoned so badly as supposed by all that he is dead, But the grace of God working in him wasn't done. He got up, he went into a nearby town of Derby, and then turned around and marched back into Lystra again, preaching to the disciples there, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 22. You know, Paul, he was never surprised by resistance, by tribulation, not even in notorious Ephesus, Uh, When writing the church in Corinth, Paul said he would spend the winter in Ephesus. Why? That's explained in 1 Corinthians 16.9. I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. We persevere through adversity, through tribulation. We don't wash out. We stand firm. You might hear people lament from time to time, oh, just being a Christian and being part of a church is so hard. 
My elders at my previous church always advised me, you better hope that it's hard. If it's not hard, if there's not difficulties, if there aren't challenges, if there aren't uh, people that are providing opposition to your ministry in Christ, Paul would suggest, the Apostle Paul would suggest, well, you aren't really in ministry looking at my life. We should expect opposition. There's something about being a true, genuine Christian that when you, you, you feel trouble coming, you reach opposition, it just strengthens your resolve. We must stand firm. That is a straight-up biblical explanation. It really ought to encourage us in our ministries to stand firm when we, uh, when we uh, observe um, resistance to the gospel. You know, Curtis, does that encourage you? Standing out on the street corner, all the persecution in Port St. Lucie, sometimes people raise up their longest finger yell something out the window, some obscenity. Oh, the, the persecution we have to go to, right? That's it, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest in any way that we, we um, don't sometimes adjust ministries, even discontinue ministries. Sometimes even overseas missionaries will return home because things just aren't working the way that they had envisioned them. Churches don't have to continue all ministries indefinitely sometimes they've run their course and you have to adjust but you don't fold up your faith sometimes it just astonishes us how how people will fold up quickly walk away from christianity some walk away for a season others defect the faith for the remainder of their lives they never come back we never see them come back many times uh, uh, this absence of them may be because they're not actually saved in the first place. We won't know until we get to glory. We won't know. But instead of discussing why some walk away, I'd like to look at our passage today and, and observe some traits of some good role models. Really good role models who did persevere. They did last. Their faith did last. And uh, our passage has four characters besides the baby Jesus in it. We have Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. Each of these stuck it out till the end. Uh, one of my commentaries referred to them, uh, along with Zacharias and Elizabeth from the first chapter, uh, as the remnant of faith in Israel. The true believers. In every age, genuine believers are always the rarity. Even during the church age, for Jesus said, For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. In Luke 13, someone asked of Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Jesus replied, Strive to enter the kingdom through the narrow door. The path that leads to life is narrow, about the width of one man, named Jesus, right? It is narrow, and and Scripture assures us that these folks here, they're on it. We see throughout their lives, uh, Mary and Joseph and then Simeon and Anna, that, that they last, they stay on the road. You can think of many people in our families and relatives and others that stayed that road throughout their life. So let's look at their behavior beginning in verses 21 through 24. 
And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, In the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In Psalm 40, verse 8, we're told, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is written on my heart. Would everyone agree that, that the will of the Lord, the will of God, it's written on our conscience, our subconscious, it's on our heart, we know. In that psalm, King David delighted in doing the will of the Lord, even when it was hard. Jesus, as a righteous branch of King David, would later say in John 4, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. True regenerated believers, they they delight in obeying the will of God. The will of God as it is found in Scripture. Joseph, Jesus' father, also of the line of King David, a descendant of King David, is described in Matthew chapter 1 as a righteous man. He too delighted in doing God's will as we know Mary did. So he and his wife sought to obey the Lord and Everything that the law required. They circumcised their child on the eighth day. They obeyed the angel, named him Jesus. They brought their firstborn male to the temple to dedicate the child as the law of Moses required of Israelites. And because a woman was ceremonially unclean for 40 days after the birth of a male child, you can find that in Leviticus 12, verses 1 through 8, Mary brought a sacrifice. What was it? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now isn't that all just a little inconvenient? I, I mean, you know, there's always chores to do at home. There's, there's stuff to be accomplished. There's errands to run. There are meals to be cooked. On the 40th day, you know, there's, prob- there's only a one in seven chance that it's even going to be on the Sabbath. It probably isn't on the Sabbath. Joseph, a carpenter, surely could have picked up some extra work, right? Avoided fulfilling the law. Rather than walking to the temple in Jerusalem, surely they could have used a little extra money. No doubt about that. How do we know? They were a very poor family. A very poor family. You see, the law of Moses required Mary to offer a one-year-old lamb for her purification that sacrifice but in Leviticus 12 verse 8 for the very poor for those who didn't have very much the law provided an exemption a mother who did not have money could instead substitute a low-cost budget sacrifice two turtle doves or two young pigeons they followed the law everything according to the Lord they did not have the money to buy a lamb Reconcile that with your prosperity gospel. 
Think about that for a moment with the Holy Family, the mother and father of Jesus. And then think of young, faithful Mary. She she walked to Jerusalem carrying her son. She didn't even have enough money to offer one young lamb for her purification. And about 32, maybe 33 years later, she will again walk with her son to Jerusalem. And she will, as a mother for her purification, part ways with him who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. She did have a lamb for her purification. And in a couple verses, a man named Simeon is going to prophesy to Mary on that day. He says, a sword will pierce even your own soul. Joseph and Mary delighted in following God's law. In fact, verse 39 indicates they performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Everything. They didn't try to wiggle out of their responsibilities. They probably could have rationalized their way out of a lot of it. They wanted to rationalize it. That's what we do much of the time. Ah, that's a long way to the temple. That's a long walk. My back hurts. God wouldn't want us to spend the little bit that we do have on a couple turtle doves, would He? Besides, you know, God realizes the markup on those sacrifices is horrible at the temple. You know, God probably wouldn't want us to hurt those little turtle doves anyhow, right? Oh, we can manufacture stuff. They're His beloved creatures. Maybe we should just stay home. Do you know... We think about that with these turtle doves and sacrifices and lambs and all of those things. I don't remember the source of this. But I believe accurate. If you look it up, you'll find it. Um, I didn't have time because it came to me right before the service this morning. Do you know that people who consider themselves Christians in America spend more money on their pets than they do on overseas missions? Food, vet bills, other things. We can rationalize anything. If you want, you you can always wiggle out. You can always find a way out of doing that which your heart knows you should do. Mary and Joseph, they didn't wiggle. That's the lesson from them. Why? Because they had been recipients of the grace of God. True grace doesn't uh, prove vain. Instead, Mary and Joseph found it a privilege and a delight to do what Scripture commanded them to do. And they persevered, Scripture tells us, to the end. So they're at the temple. Verse 25 now, they picture them at the temple. And there's a man named Simeon. He's the next character. And like Mary and Joseph, he too, he was a righteous and devout man. The Holy Spirit was upon him as he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Or for God to comfort the nation of Israel, in their distress. And and a number of commentators believe Simeon was a priest from the context of verses 27 and 28. Uh, It appears as though Mary and Joseph were carrying out the custom of the law, Jesus' dedication according to the law, 
when Simeon took Jesus into his arms to dedicate him because Simeon was a priest. I buy into that. It, it isn't explicit, but it's implicit. Uh, if he was a priest, it's very possible that Simeon personally knew Zacharias and Elizabeth. John the Baptist's parents, obviously, from chapter 1. If he didn't know them, you can be almost certain Simeon at least had been informed about Zacharias's prophecy and the vision in the temple that occurred just a few months earlier. Remember the vision of the temple? We're told in chapter 1, Luke verse 20, 1 verse 22, uh, we're told that when Zacharias came out of the temple, he was a mute. It says, all the people realized he had seen a vision. All of them there at the temple knew. That's just a few months before this. And when John the Baptist was born, just six months previous to Christ being born, Luke chapter 1 verse 64 told us just a few weeks ago, Zacharias' mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. Zacharias' child was all the buzz in Judea. And, and Scripture tells us that all who heard these prophecies by Zacharias concerning John the Baptist, his new son, they kept them in mind, saying of John, what then is this child going to turn out to be? And of course, also being righteous and obedient to God, Zacharias and Elizabeth would have also gone to the temple to de dedicate John the Baptist as the law required. So they would have been there testifying as well. So all this to say, Simeon was part of this believing remnant who were looking forward to this deliverer who had been announced. Who had been promised through Malachi. Uh, who had been announced through Zacharias. So even if Simeon had not seen or met Zacharias, I can't be convinced that he had not heard about this. This buzz of this forerunner to the Messiah. This John the Baptist that was born who was already in their midst. So I imagine Simeon hearing this information. You know, okay, I've heard this about this baby being born as a forerunner uh, to Christ. How long before Christ comes though? How long must I wait? Am I going to live long enough to see Christ? Can you imagine a priest saying that if he believes that the forerunner is here? And, and I think the context implies Simeon is quite elderly at the context. He was a, a devout man. He wanted to see the consoling of Israel. He wanted to place his eyes on Christ. In some way, somehow, we don't know exactly how, the Holy Spirit revealed to him, verse 26, you will not see death before you have seen the Lord's Christ. So he's watching. He's looking for the consolation of Israel. He's aware of what is going on. He's watching and waiting. One day as he is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Yet Mary and Joseph, they bring the child Jesus into the temple for dedication according to the law. And Simeon, 
prompted by the Holy Spirit, took this baby into his arms and blessed God, saying in verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people, Israel. This Jesus is the one. You know, and as I previously stated, uh, Luke doesn't want the reader to overlook this. This uniqueness of Christ. So Luke records numerous prophecies and and witnesses concerning Jesus. We have the angel, numerous shepherds, Simeon, probably a priest. Now we have an elderly lady coming into the picture named Anna. Each has been granted the blessing to with their eyes see the Lord's salvation, the Christ question is, at the temple, at the dedication in the temple of Jesus, were they the only ones to visibly see Jesus, the baby? No. This was a public child dedication in the temple. It wasn't a private ceremony. Simeon held him up, verse 31, in the presence of all the peoples who were there, Simeon's words were were so profound, what he is speaking publicly, verse 33. Mary and Joseph, it says, were amazed at the things that were being said about their son. Most of the people in the crowd probably said, Oh, look, a baby. You know what? That's how most people who come and visit on Christmas... Most people who are visitors, who who aren't part of Christ's church and don't know Jesus, aren't regenerate, they'll come on Christmas because it's the ceremonial thing to do in that season. And much of the time, you remember, we'll have a nativity scene up here of Christ and Mary and Joseph. And they'll say to themselves, Oh, look, a baby. It's not just a baby. This is God's only beloved son. Consider Mary and Joseph, the shepherds in the field, remember discussing them. Simeon, next Anna, the prophetess. Concerning the identity of Christ, think to yourself now, the identity of this child versus the crowds at the temple, the passers-by who might have seen the child. What's the difference? Whether through an angel, through a prophecy, through uh, the Holy Spirit, in the case of Simeon, God revealed him, Jesus, to them. God revealed him. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one whom I, who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, 
Anna, you might want to throw in Zacharias, Elizabeth, the shepherds. True grace does not prove vain, folks. In the lives of God's people, in the lives of God's people, true grace does not look empty. It's not vain. Simeon now considers himself ready to depart in peace, right? Turns to the parents and does what in verse 34? He blesses them. Simeon blesses God. Simeon blesses Jesus. Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph, the parents. Do you suppose this tendency to bless others was something that he just whipped up for the occasion? Something he just kind of came up with. Oh, look, there's Jesus. I better get my blessing on. No. I don't think so. Is his offering of a kind blessing something that genuine believers just naturally do? Think about that for a minute. Simeon, he's a godly man. Consequently, he, he blessed others. We see him blessing others with the fruit of his lips. The, the common Greek word for this, euleo, um, I think it's pronounced. It's a tough one, but it's where we get eulogy. Eulogy. Do we know what eulogy means? It means to speak well of someone, to praise, to extol, to lift up. It's supposed to be an, a eulogy, supposed to be an encouragement to those who are still living not only to those who are at the front of a church in a casket. 1 Peter 3.9 says, to not return insults, but instead give a blessing. Same word. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Jesus always encouraged His followers, His disciples to, to bless others, even those who persecute you, right? We're told to bless our fellow man. We're told to bless God. We have a problem. Our sinful nature, it prefers to withhold blessing. James chapter 3, verse 8. The Lord's brother James says to Christians, A tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. That's to Christians. That's to the early church, remember, when everything was still perfect? God's grace manifests itself through Simeon blessing others. It did not prove vain. In Proverbs 10.22 And I don't believe uh, Solomon here is talking about money. About being all blessed with money. Uh, He knew better than anyone that money wasn't a solution to many problems. It wasn't always a blessing. And the entire section of of this proverb, proverb chapter 10, if if you are willing, if you are proverb 10, verse 22, if you'll look at it, it's all about the godly use of the tongue, the mouth, the lips. And Solomon writes this, The lips of the righteous feed many. That word feed there actually in Hebrew, it's shepherd. 
The lips of the righteous shepherd many. But fools die for lack of understanding. Then he says, It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And God adds no sorrow to it. Do you think we're talking about money there? I don't. Some commentators will disagree with me. The blessing makes rich. Are you making people, people rich with your lips? Simeon did. Is our God a God who enjoys pouring out blessing on people? Oh yeah. Obviously he is. That ironic, uh, ironic blessing, excuse me, from Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, that I sometimes use at the end of service. It was given by God to bless his people. Consider the beatitudes that Christ taught. The blessings. If we look like Jesus, we ought to offer a blessing. Jesus even blessed others while he hung on a cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. People who belong to God, like Simeon, we ought to encourage others with blessings. God's grace in our lives will not prove vain. Here's the point with Simeon. The problem with the modern church, this is very widespread. False teachers have convinced us that a blessing is something that you are supposed to receive rather than something that you and I are supposed to give. In his blessing to Mary and Joseph, Simeon announces that their children or their child is appointed to, for the rise of fall, rise and fall of many. I'm going to have to come back to that statement in the future. I don't have time. It's very important. We're going to come back to that later. But I do have a little bit of time for Anna. Anna the prophetess, verse 36. She was advanced in years, had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. Depending upon your translation, the, the best Greek scholarship translates her age as being 84. If because of your tradition you insist Anna has been widowed for 84 years, thus is closer to 104 years old, uh, according to one translation, great. Stresses the point I'm going to make all the better. As a widow, Anna never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers at 84 or more years old. And as with Simeon, she is upheld as a positive role model to us, the small remnant of faithful believers who are on the narrow road And God's grace towards her did not prove vain. She persevered over all of those years. As I said on the outset, uh, true Christians don't wash out of church. They don't wash out of the faith. We persevere like these two elderly folks did till the end. We have a lot of people in our midst right here persevering. In a case... You haven't noticed, talking about this, we live in a retirement area. Did you notice that? I genuinely feel so sad, folks. I do. Uh, I'll talk to neighbors. Talk to people who live nearby. Others. And and they'll express how, yeah, you know, we went to, to church for years. 
Back when we were up north, we got the kids through church and everything and raised our children in the church. And you ask them, do you go anywhere now? They're like, no. Then you ask them, how long you been in this area? Oh, about 18 years. Mm. Would you like to visit our church? We'd love to have you as a guest. No. Really not interested. And I know with my mom, you know, there's, there's absolutely legitimate medical issues. There are ailments. There are vacation a couple times a year. But here in South Florida, I'll be honest, people of all ages are on vacation perpetually from church. Sometimes it goes on for years. So I'm going to close with a true illustration, and I hope it touches your heart. When I was initially on mission to the state capital of North Dakota, until we got situated, myself and Rita, as she followed me up, uh, she joined me and we stayed with my mom and dad on the farm. I've told that story different times, but I haven't told this one. And uh, we went to church with them for an extended period, period of time. And they had been led uh, through circumstances in, in their old church they had been with in many years, uh, but they had been led to a really good Bible teaching church. We didn't exactly line up with this church on everything, but they were genuine, loving Christians. What a blessing they were at mom's funeral. The encouragement through their lips. And, and we got to know this church very well. And I remember an elderly woman. This is great. She, she couldn't sit upright and she couldn't raise her head. And they would push her in a wheelchair to the front row where she would sit quietly throughout the service right here in front of the pulpit. She'd be hunched over with, with her head down every week. And coming into the church, or if you'd sit at the entryway to the church as they'd show up, uh, you could watch her along with her adult sons as they struggled to slowly get her out of her car and transferred into the wheelchair, across the snow with the ice and the wind blowing, while all the rest of us we were running past trying to get into the church because it was so cold. And it would take them minutes. All I could think is, what kind of spirit does that woman have? I don't know if I would do that myself. Because, you know, there, there are sermons online, Chuck Swindoll, that I can listen to at home. Not for her. She had better theology than that. And at the end of each service, the pastor would stop first at her, and he would put his hand on her head, and he would give her a blessing. So sweet to watch. And can you believe what her name was? No, actually, it was Darlene. <laughs> it would have been too sweet <laughs> if it were Anna. And, and I actually contacted the pastor this, this week to see if Darlene is still with us, but he said she has since gone to be with the Lord. Amen. You know, God's grace towards Darlene did not prove vain. 
Folks, I, I don't know about you. I'm not giving up. In Christ I will stand all the days of my life. For the glory of Christ I will be a blessing to others, an encouragement to them, even when it isn't always easy as it wasn't with Christ, even in opposition. I'll be a blessing and not a curse. Amen. God's grace toward me will not prove vain. Let's pray. Ah, Father, you are so wonderful and great, Lord, and so loving. And we see uh, your majesty in Christ and the way that he lived, Lord, as recorded in the Holy Scriptures the way that he blessed, the way that he loved. Lord, in the way that Jesus stood for the truth, even in opposition, Lord, he did not cower. Lord, uh, for our church, we pray as uh, we seek to be Christ-like and more like him, Lord, that you'll you'll strengthen us to do so because, Lord, uh, the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. And Lord, like these people that we've looked at, Mary and Joseph and, and Simeon and Anna and even Darlene, Lord, we pray that we'll finish strong every step till the end. Lord, we ask that you would fulfill that in your power and in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.